This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hey, welcome to Travel Is Your Business. Today, our guests are, well, we got two guests today. We have Brian Harneman and Krish Jagardar. Um, Brian is the Managing Director and Krish the VP of Brand New Matter, which is a New York-based strategic advisory and venture capital firm. Uh, they have uh, extensive backgrounds in the travel industry, and uh, we're going to journey uh, through that just shortly because our show starts right now. Hi, I'm Chris Shagadar. I'm a vice president at Brand New Matter. What I love about travel is how something that's ingrained inside of all of us and something that we all love to do. The enjoyment that everyone gets from being in a different place and the time that we're in where people have the accessibility uh, to get to new places. Um, to see all of that happening right now and getting to be a part of it is uh, been a blessing. Hi, uh, Brian Horneman, uh, managing director and one of the founders of Brand New Matter. I got into travel by accident, but that's kind of how I found out what I love about travel. Priceline was concepted as really the competitor to the couch. So we got people out of their living rooms uh, and able to travel when they thought they couldn't. So we kind of made their lives better, and you know, that's a pretty powerful thing. So that's, that's what I love about being in travel. From New York City, this is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry with Tavan Ball, technology thought leader and community builder, John Matson, digital director at Voyager HQ, and growth strategist, Peter Crisdale. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to the show. I'm one of your hosts, Puffin Ball, and joining me on mic today is Mr. John Matson. What's up, brother? Hey. Uh, not too much. Hanging out. Not too much. It's <laughs> Friday. kicking it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good to have you, of course, John, with nice us. Uh, and, of course, our guest today, uh, Brian Harneman and Krish Jagardar of Brand New Matter. What's going on, fellas? Excellent to be here. Thank you for having us. Thanks yes. for having us. Yeah. Well, yeah, welcome to the show. A we're bit excited. Of rain. To... We're dry now, so we're we're all good. <laughs> well, we're we're excited to uh, to have you guys in studio with us. Um, and uh, why don't we start over here, Brian? I'm going to direct it towards you. Sure. Can you give us uh, basically like a thumbnail sketch, uh, maybe a thirty thousand foot overview of uh, who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So uh, in 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 brief, uh, started in travel almost twenty years ago, quite by mistake. Uh, was recruited into a wacky name-your-own-price company that uh, I wasn't allowed to tell anybody about what I did, what they were doing. Um, and I stayed there for 10 years. Uh, and we built Priceline, uh, name-your-own-price, Air. You accidentally started Priceline? I was the only person that... Uh, <laughs> I didn't start it. I, I was just lucky enough to sort of become a part of the founding team. But, uh -huh. um, the strange story was a guy that I played soccer with was a recruiter. Uh, he called me on a Saturday. He didn't know who I was. We knew each other, but he didn't know my last name. And I didn't know who he was. And he had an old uh, resume. And it was like the resume that I had first put together at a, at a school, which mm -hmm. had my, you know, I said, the, as a disc jockey and all this crap. And I just started making fun of him. Like, why would you call a guy with this resume? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and he's like, you know, I see you play soccer. And he's like, yeah. Um, you know, you play in, where do you play? Like, oh, I play up in Norwalk. He's like, I do too. Mm. And we knew each other. And, you know, so I was like, wait a minute, is this Carl? He's like, is this Brian, is this Brian from soccer? Like, yeah. So I went in there and, uh, you know, I was supposed to have like an hour interview. I was there for four hours. Uh, it was when Priceline wasn't even 
broken apart from Walker Digital, which was Jay Walker's sort of intellectual sort of foundry for ideas. Uh, and they they kind of had an idea, uh, and they're just looking for someone who had a web technology background. And I was an extremely crappy programmer, <laughs> uh, and I was hired in as their first sort of web front end guy. Uh, and then I sort of dovetailed into product development and eventual corporate development for them. Um, was there for 10 years, left in, geez, 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, started a bunch of companies, worked at Kayak. And then uh, uh, Tom Sparica, who's one of my co-founders at uh, Brand New Matter, and I came back together and started Brand New Matter based on our sort of long experience uh, of building and sort of yeah. understanding opportunity within the, the travel and then the greater tech field together. And, you know, we've, we've been having fun ever since. So it's about five years ago now. Um, and we work with 80 companies, so, uh, brand now new what, matter. what is brand new matter? Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, we've, we've got a dual focus. We're a strategic advisory firm first. Uh, we've been built to sort of understand risk in startup companies, help the companies themselves understand that risk and then put together plans to mitigate that risk. So we call it value creation through sort of risk mitigation, figure out what's going to kill you fast, what's going to kill you slow, and then. How do you defend to route around that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes there's an ability for us to actually work on the plan that we've put together. A lot of times the companies can do it themselves. Uh, And then sometimes we invest in those companies if we really get, you know, comfort around the team, the concept. So we can talk a little bit about that. But the the product that we built is called the 30 day deep dive. And we've basically, Mm -hmm. you know, done a ton of research and a ton of process flow to drag ideas you know, sort of an idea share out of the companies across the table in a non-threatening way where we're just there to help. We're there to surface sort of issues that, you know, startups and growth companies run really, really fast. Yeah. And they sometimes overlook or sometimes don't even see the stuff right. that's the matter. And, and the program that we built, this deep dive, is designed to sort of help them understand that and, and work with them to fix it. Great. And uh, Chris, let me turn it over to you. So uh, your background a little bit and what brought you into the team here at Brand New Matter? Sure. So uh, by no means as extensive as, as Brian's. Uh, just but means I'm old. You're a young whippersnapper, <laughs> Chris. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, again, I, I uh, studied finance and film in school. Uh, I actually wanted to be a film producer back in, when I was in college and just by chance got offered a job at a startup my senior year of school. Uh, and just kind of caught the bug. I just, mm-hmm. I think it was just so interesting to me just learning about that, and that I guess it gave me enough of a of a kind of background, so to speak, to to get a job at a company called Dom and Tom, which is a top tier design development firm. You worked at Dom and Tom. Yeah, I did. That's awesome. Yeah, for yeah. many years, uh, less than twenty people at the time. So for those that uh, can't see John's uh, just elation on yeah. his face, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, uh, so John actually his background beyond Voyager. Of course, he, he's a uh, designer. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. So uh, again, top tier design development firm built. Mm-hmm. You know number of products for both startups and Fortune 500 companies. Funny enough, Dom and Tom had built Priceline's first mobile application. So, Got uh, you know, again, fast forward a bit. For me, it's, it's kind of cool working for these guys. Full the circle negotiator a app. Yeah, the negotiator mm-hmm. app. Oh, everyone knows the negotiator yeah. app, of course. Uh, so over there, I spent about two and a half years there, uh, did everything from a non-technical perspective. Uh, so everything from sales, account management, product mm-hmm. management, product strategy, et cetera. It's really where I cut my teeth over there. I wrote of like 200 different product specs. How um, big was the team then? At, so when I left, I believe is around thirty-five. Nice. Now they're over a hundred, which is that's cra- a nice size. Though. Crazy, yeah. yeah, yeah. So again, it was it was nice then, just because it was all hands on deck, and exactly. they were moving so fast, and they're again such great guys. Um, 
from there, uh, I had the opportunity to start my own little agency, which was called Robot Dog. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea there was just to own product and work with uh, products that we found interesting so that hopefully one day they could become a lot more successful. Mm. Um, the third product we built was this uh, product called Plusmore, which was a hotel tech app, a hotel technology app, which did uh, essentially digital concierge and back of house, uh, electronic delegation management, that kind of stuff. Didn't know anything about the hotel industry. Uh, so it was, uh, it was quite the crash course. Um, uh, learned a lot and, and in a lot of ways fell in love with the, the travel and hospitality industry in the, in the process. Made a ton of mistakes, um, you know, raised a bunch of money, wasted a bunch of money. Uh, didn't really have the metrics for an A, but was uh, lucky enough to land on uh, Tom Bryan's desk. Uh, so when uh, essentially Plusmore was starting to essentially go away, um, I reached out to them. And they were kind enough to uh, offer me a job at, at Brand New Matter. And uh, now I'll be here for almost two years, and I, I got to say it's been one of the greatest things. It's been uh, such a learning experience, and again, just a really awesome time working for these guys. They're brilliant. So That's awesome. I'd love to talk about Brand New Matter and, and your process a little bit, and like how you guys have formed that. Sure. Um, because you, you mentioned the 30-day deep dive, and that sounds pretty cool. Uh, but your strategic investments expand, you know, extend to after that. Mm -hmm. So how do you couple your advisory and your investment? Uh, you know, kind of services. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so let's talk about sort of how the deep dive became what it is today, right? So mm -hmm. uh, when Brand New Manor started, the idea was we were going to build, we were going to invest, and we were going to advise. Uh, we started with advisory services because it's revenue generation from literally the day you open the doors, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, we had a couple clients. Is that of, trading time for dollars type of thing? or It is. I mean, okay. you're selling units of time. You're an agency, yep. you know, and you, you need to get paid for the expertise that you bring. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that we found out over the years, even before Brand New Matter, is everybody wants to ask you for advice and they want to pay you in equity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's sort of a common thing. And that, that yeah. doesn't work for any number of reasons. And I've, I've been successful, actually, in a few of those. Uh, you know, over the last 20 years, but in just general, a few, which I'm a sure few. there's hundreds that have come by the vast minority. Yeah. Right. Uh, and a lot of those were because the product was sort of aqua hired quickly before they actually had to execute. It was just a great idea. And you got confidence <laughs> in the team and some bigger company just sort of grabbed them up. Yeah. Um, right time, right place. That's right. right. Product. Yeah. That's right. Sorry. Ahead of the curve. And, you know, we're going to bet on the come here and, and hopefully something happens. Um, but you know, when you sort of are paid in, you know, a, a sort of, medium that may or may not be worth any money to you or to the founding team and the founders of the mm -hmm. business. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard for them to sort of act on the advice. You're giving free advice. It's acted on like mm -hmm. it's free advice. So you're really out of alignment. Um, you know, people That's want to sort of grab you on their, you know, into their team, sometimes just for the deck, sometimes just for the website. But, you know, sort of the, the time that you take to think about the sort of considered advice that you give you know, when it's not acted on, one, it's really freaking annoying for the advisor. Like, I'm taking my time. I'm telling you what to do, and you're not doing it. And then for the founder, you're getting the advice that you've asked for, and then you're not doing anything with it. So that doesn't work. So, you know, we started with, you know, fee for services, right? That's what advisory, any agency, but advisory services do. Um, you put a clock on it. You put a dollar next to it. People are more highly sensitized to one being really judicious about the asks that they give. I mm -hmm. need an the answer of this question. And then they're really sort of interested in earning back against their cost, putting those ideas into action. Um, so we sort of always start out with, we're going to get paid for what we do. Um, but what we found was the manner in which we sort of solicited the information 
was really important, right? So, hey, John, you've got a great business. Tell me about it. Give me your deck. And, you know, the backstory there is anybody can be the best entrepreneur you've ever seen for 30 minutes, right? They just have to have a good pitch. Mm -hmm. The problem is a lot of the stuff that is going to kill the business is glossed over either because they're good at what they're doing, the pitch, or they've conveniently forgotten about sort of the bad mistakes that they've made. And nobody wants to say, hey, I made a mistake in the funding of my business. I made a mistake with hiring the CTO of the business. Foundational You know, just aspects. startup stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of stuff at once. Some of it's going to be wrong. And people don't want to be, you know, mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm asking you for money, I have to be the smartest guy in the room. I have to be the, you know, the subject matter expert for the idea that I'm pitching. And they sort of don't want to talk about what they've done wrong. So, you know, as a consultant or as an advisor, you sort of get bought on to that and you maybe you buy the story a little bit too much. And then you can't help fix these things because you've sort of accepted the premise that they're mm-hmm. that they're correct. So the deep dive basically became sort of this way of bringing people into the room. It's, it starts with, you know, a request for information. We grab everything that we possibly can from you, from budgetary plans to your marketing to how you've built your team, um, you know, to what you want for, for funding, what you've done with funding, anything you can think of. Uh, and we grab all that and we sort of synthesize that. We construct an agenda based on that. And then we have you in the room and work through all that stuff. The first thing we talk about is success definition for your business. What do you think means success long term? You know, sort of the midterm of the business. We call that sort of the growth phase. Uh, and right now, you got 30 days with, with Brand New Matter. What do you want out of our time? And we'll make sure that we get you there. How immersive is this experience? Are they in office with you for They're 30 days? They're in office, yeah. For the first mm. three days, they are it's a boot camp. with us. It is, but yeah. you know, we don't want it to be, you know, again, the, the idea of Brand New Matter is collaboration. Absolutely. It's rooted in empathy, which is super important, right? If you look at who we sort of go against, you know, there are sort of accelerators, there are incubators, there's VC, traditional VC world. And, you know, what we found was there is a tolerated failure rate. Uh, and actually a failure rate that might be encouraged a little bit where I've got 100 companies as a you know top-tier VC. We know that some of them are dying. Let's hasten their death by poaching resources and sort yeah. of you know, making sure that I'm listening to all the people that I've sort of you know, uh, funded over the years. If someone is not happy with their current gig, well, I can just put you over here. That's right. right? It's a soft landing at that point. You're, you're kind of making lemon out of, uh, lemonade out of lemons, I guess. Right? Yeah, you're betting on the, yeah. the, the blockbuster, right? I need one Airbnb to be successful. So, so I want to find that Airbnb so, and make sure they move. And make sure that they have the resources, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we don't feel that, you know, needs to be the way, yeah. um, you know, we feel like the stuff that is killing these businesses is just stuff that hasn't been considered. That's right. Um, so, but they're littered with value, whether it's person or technology or whatever it might be. That's right. So mm-hmm. we want to extract that value and create value quickly. So success is the first, then we do a risk assessment of the business and we have, you know, 10, uh, things that we look at from, you know, what have you actually built? Um, why have you built it? Um, you know, what do we feel is the, is the issues here that you're, you know, that you're facing, that you're, that you're really not dealing with. And we actually score that from one to three, one's good, three's bad. So, you know, you want to, you want a low, you want the low score, you want to play golf. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we run you through what we call the core modules, which are, you know, problem solution. It's the Sequoia model. And we just basically step through it. And I, I say it all the time and 
you know, people laugh. It's, it's remedial stuff. It really is. There's no magic, but it's stuff that nobody does. The amount of people that can actually tell me what constitutes success and even talk about the problem and the solution that they solve as a business is just, you know, infinite. One oh one, right? You skip over right, right over it. Even, yeah. even the the idea of uh, congruence across these different areas is something that is missing all the time, right? And like again, you guys have seen I'm sure plenty of pitch decks in, in your life and you see uh, a pro forma where they're doing, you know, five hundred thousand dollars year one, you know, two million dollars year two, and then ten million dollars you know, we're going to crush three, it. Yeah. But the thing is that you look at the, the organizational development plan and they go from four people to five people to, to seven yeah, people. Yeah. And so there's no, again, that the whole idea of congruence across all these different elements is, is never, never, it's never there. So I think, uh, again, going through these steps. They're while just remedial, very resourceful, Chris. Yes, yeah. <laughs> 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 very, very effective. Everyone's got a high viral know, And again, it's remedial. These are easy questions with really hard answers. And, mm-hmm. you know, unless you take the time and it's a, a considerable amount of time to step back and say, how am I actually going to approach the problem? Then you've got issues. So we yeah. all it is is designed to sort of find the risk and then quickly sort of devise plans to sort of mitigate that risk to create the value that you need. And is, is the there... idea at the end of this thirty days to figure out whether there's a f- uh, a further relationship that Brand New Matter is going to step into? Yeah. Um, and how much are they actually uh, spending in resources? I know time is obviously a huge one, uh, but monetarily, uh, whether it's with equity, how are they? How are you structuring these deals um, with the companies for these thirty so, day opportunity? Very quickly, the idea for doing a deep dive is not to get money from us or anybody else. It's right. to actually figure out why your company is in trouble yep. uh, or what are the areas that need to be fixed and fix that you know, immediately and quickly. So, so to say, like it, there's immediate and lasting value for anybody that comes into the business. We're here to help you sort of debug your company. And just like software code, the Reset. earlier you mm-hmm. find it, mm-hmm. the easier and cheaper it is to fix. So you know, that piece and uh, you reestablish it, yourself on the road. It's a business for, for yeah. better, better foundation. That's right. right. Um, so the first three things are sort of all these foundational elements. Everybody does success definition. Mm-hmm. They do risk assessment. They do the core modules. Then depending on who you are and what you need, maybe there's a capital uh, formation. I need money. There's capital sort of uh, deployment. I have money. How should I spend it? Commercialization product. There are sort of what we call sort of the focus module. And everybody that does a deep dive has the three and then one of generally one of the sort of focus modules. Mm -hmm. After that, you've not only identified the risks, you have some idea of what it takes to fix the company on a go forward basis. You've sort of set the company up for success. Um, I guess the, the answer at the end is, what do we get out of it? What does Brand New Matter get out of it? It's a paid program. Right, so everybody that comes pays a fee. Uh, it depends on the size of your business, uh, what you pay, and then we can make an assessment. Brand new matter at the end. Do we want to work with this company on a go forward basis? Do they need help from marketing? Do they need help in intros to investors? Do we want to invest in the business? You know, we can make that call after. But this is very, very low level due diligence, and we think it's a very solid due diligence program, and it's very different than what the VCs out there are doing because they're not spending enough time with these folks in the room. They're not seeing some team dynamic stuff play out. Mm-hmm. And usually that's it's, where the really it's interesting It's very stuff. hard to get a founder's brain to vomit on a piece of paper. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so they can encapsulate it on a pitch deck or a marketing presentation. But if you spend 30 days with them, you'll get it out of them. Basically. That's right. For sure. Yeah. 
So is there, do you run these programs like, you know, in congruence with one another, like at the same time, or are you doing these kind of one-offs for each client? Like how does that, how does it take shape in that way? Uh, it so is very different. It's very different than any like incubator. Or no, of VC course. And I, th- I think, uh, that's, that's something that, that we keyed in on, especially once we were kind of like essentially plotting this on a strategy canvas relative to all these other alternatives out there. Um, the fact of the matter is whether you're an incubator or an accelerator, if you're in a, if you're a couch company or a business to business software, uh, company or enterprise software company, you're going to have different problems and needs, um, ways of thinking about the business, go to market. So for us, it's a, it's a one-on-one focus just because we are specific to your business and the, the work that we're doing is specific to your business as opposed to kind of a blanket strategy. Um, so from that perspective, it's, it's a lot more. Yeah. The, the in-person time is important, right? You get, mm-hmm. you know, eight or nine hours, three days in a row. There's a lot of sort of, you know, collaboration yeah. that happens at a deep level, a lot of trust that's conveyed. So we get a lot of sort of the story behind the story, mm-hmm. which is important. Um, you know, you, you've kind of got to break down those walls a little bit to really understand what's going on. Nice. Um, and, and that's sort of where, doesn't need to be a travel company. You know, we have travel expertise just because we're so goddamn old. Um, but there are speak for yourself, Brian, you're right. (laughs) Excuse me, just because I'm so goddamn old. Um, but you know, we can do consumer electronics. We've done, uh, lifestyle companies and in general, we find the subject matter expert should be the person who started the business. Mm. But if we find we need somebody, that is, you know, from an outside, you know, sort of vertical outside, not 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 in travel. We simply bring them in. So, Brand New Matter has uh, entrepreneurs and residents from the spirit world, the liquors and spirits world, the health uh, and wellness, health and wellness. Uh, yeah, all the Great. Places, yeah. I'm glad we had a chance to learn a bit about Brand New Matter. Uh, when we do come back with our second segment, we're going to try to go a little bit deeper and look under the hood a bit. Um, but in the meantime, you guys brought over some snacks for us to enjoy. Yeah. Um, and it is Friday, uh, so uh, everyone needs their energy up a little bit. What you uh, What you guys bring in for us? Today? So I, uh, I'm on New Jersey Transit every day, and uh, I try to get past the uh, Krispy Kreme stand uh, in Penn Station. And in general... Uh, you know, if I've been, you know, sort of good and I run a little bit during the week, I'll treat myself. Um, this summer I've been <laughs> just basically, I couldn't give a shit. So I've been yeah. <laughs> way too much. Uh, and, uh, just on another Friday, I'm going to eat more Krispy Kreme. Yes. I like to it. Hell, so we got Krispy Kreme donuts in the everything. house. Why don't we open it up actually and see what flavors you decide to, to pick up. I'm sure you have traditional glazed in there because yeah, you know, who doesn't? When the hot and fresh sign is open, you know that's free. really bad if we didn't. Wow. <laughs> All right, cool. So we have a nice product assortment of uh, a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, so we'll be bouncing off the walls um, going forward in the second segment. When we do come back, guys, um, we're actually going to introduce a new portion of the show that we're hoping to kind of keep threaded in here. Um, we don't have a name for it yet, but essentially we crowdsource through the Voyager community uh, different questions. Um, and John had reached out to the Voyager membership base and uh, filtered down to a pretty insightful question from the community. So we're going to start the second segment with that. So when we come back, more with Brian Harneman and Chris Jagardar of Brand New Matter. Greetings, Mouth Media Network listener. My name is Davin Riley, and I'm willing to bet you like music. And even if my assumption is wrong, I still think you should come and check out our show, The Music Lover Podcast, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, 
pioneers, artists, and the unsung heroes of the music industry. Together, we'll uncover the insider perspectives on some of your favorite companies and artists as we analyze music business trends through a technological lens. Find us at the Music Lover Podcast, but remember, that's Music Lover without the vowels. M-S-C-L-V-R. Yes, we're that cool. And since you're cool too, we should be friends. The Music Lover Podcast. We'll see you there. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to Travel Is Your Business. And of course, we are here with Brian and Chris of Brand New Matter. Um, man, we are chomping down on some sugar right now. Uh, we definitely had some reflection over the break and uh, all of us kind of had a little bit of a nostalgia um, biting into a Krispy Kreme donut. But here we are. We're going to be amped up and ready for, for, <laughs> totally for sure. Yeah. Totally wired yeah. for the second segment. John's going to eat a third. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'd love to jump into um, this question that was from the Voyager community. Uh, so uh, our Voyager member is Matan Nagril. He's a uh, co-founder of Foodie Trip. Sure. Um, I know yeah. Matan. You know Matan? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. There we go. Actually, oh, that makes sense. He's like, hey, Brian. <laughs> That's it's like, right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Brian. That's exactly um, how he talks. I know yeah. this because I never met him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who don't know what Foodie Trip is, uh, Foodie Trip is a marketplace that connects travelers with local food guides for on-the-ground culinary experiences in 115 cities. That's one hell of a plug, bud. Ah, mm. That's what it's all about. And if you, uh, the listener, also want a uh, <laughs> nice little sprinkling of value, uh, go ahead and uh, submit your questions to John at the Voyager team. Yeah, I'll be eating a sprinkle. How, how are you taking uh, questions in, by the way? Um, we, we sent out an email yeah. to the, the community. Okay. Uh, there's like a special email list for to digital members. It's voyagerhq.com, and you yeah. apply to be a digital member. And cool. once you're accepted, you a, a short criteria. Then you cool. um then you get these. Kind yeah, of nobody cares. They'll stuff. just do yeah, it. yeah, yeah. yeah you get let's on do the full it. pitch. Yeah. What do you think? All right, go on. Um, <laughs> go <yes>. on. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go. Let me go. All right. So, uh, hey, Brian and Krish. Seems like <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm included. So now. familiar. Uh, seems like most of the institutional money going into travel tech is funneled solely towards B2B companies, with a small exception of MetaSearch B2C platforms. In your opinion, what do B2C travel tech companies need to showcase in order to garner institutional investment? How much traction is enough traction? Yeah. So before I answer the second question, I'm going to talk about sort of the the lead into it, right? Um, I feel like the venture guys are looking at B2B because it's just less risk, right? A lot of these B2B companies or SaaS companies, super predictable. They have a long and sort of healthy lifetime value when they when they hook a business in. So if it's an infrastructure company at the hotel, hotel puts that software into play, mm-hmm. they're never going to take anything out of their stack, right? So it's like, you know, you have a long, crazy lifetime value. It's like software in a bank or an insurance company. Don't touch it. It's, it works. Leave it alone. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess on the 
so they can they can make a, they can do well on their on their marketing. Uh, find somebody, acquire them, and, and sort of make uh, make money on that deal. Uh, and also in the the meta search piece, because a lot of the meta search sort of uh, value that's extracted on that per user basis, you can acquire a, com- uh, a customer relatively cheaply, and then you can sort of monetize that that customer on a one time trip through the business. So I think maybe that makes it easier for them to invest in the, the venture community. So that's why those things are sort of trending right now, or have been trending. Um, and you know, curiously, they also are connected to the, t- the hotel side of the business mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, where all the margin actually is. Yeah, an assumption that you uh, get traction over there, you integrate with a hotel, it's uh, highly unlikely that you're going to be replaced pretty quickly. And, and they switching pay costs more. are high. Yeah. yeah, and they pay more, right? So yeah. on a transaction basis for the MetaSearch side, you know, guess what? You're going you're gonna to do well when you mm-hmm. transfer somebody over who's actually a buyer. So I think that's that's what's going on. As far as the you know, the, the scale that's needed. I think a lot of the problems that people get into when they start thinking about scale uh, from an investment basis is they're just promising the wrong things to the people that they're talking to. So we tend to think of uh, the investment process as sort of a, a timeline, not a one-time event. And a lot of the early stage sort of angel and seed should be validation stage only, right? You sort of have these scale goals that are important to you, but they really don't need to be. They're vanity metrics, right? I'm going to have 10,000 people use my website. Why? You know, mm-hmm. what, what is that going to prove? What you have to prove is anecdotally and sort of with some level of quant, you know, that people want and need your product, understand it, and are going to use it. And then also prove on the other side that there's a marketplace of people that are going to pay you for building that service. So if you think of it as validation, then you can sort of shrink the goals for scale down quite a lot. And, you know, you sort of in your next round of funding after you prove at a very small scale, um, you know, if you think about the the foodie trip business and say, maybe I'm only going to be working, uh, working in Peru and I'm just going to do, you know, sort of local food in Peru and prove that I can acquire customers, prove that there's a market that, that wants it first, then I can acquire those customers relatively profitably and transfer them to people that will service them, right? I can have dinners at people's houses in Peru. And I'll do that, you know, and operate that business for a little bit at subscale to prove that it works and prove that there's sort of a reason for me to go go bigger. Then I can come back and sort of say, I told you, Mr. Investor, that I was going to validate the core concepts of my business in this phase. Now I'm going to take a step function up, both in valuation of my business mm-hmm. and what I'm going to ask for, because I'm going to prove more yeah. about the business. I'm going to go all of South America, uh, or I'm going to go all of South and Central America based on the success that I've shown in Peru. So just think of it, you know, sort of not so much about, hey, I've got to get to immediate scale, but I've got to get to sort of stepped through sort of stages of validation in my business to prove that there's a reason for you to yeah. trust me in my execution as an entrepreneur and also that my business makes sense. I, I think this is a really important thing to reinforce for the founders that are listening here or anyone that's looking to roadmap a product launch, uh, specifically a technology product launch, is you don't 
you want to have these tricks up your sleeves. You don't want to put the whole product out there into the marketplace on your V0, your V1. Uh, of course, there's perils that could come with, okay, maybe it's just not ready yet, but there's also the adoption curve on um, you know having people getting accustomed to the flow of your product and then slowly releasing these other wins uh, or iterations of the product that come out. Yeah, product extensions, sort of yeah. other user personas or groups of people that might be interested in your product. Then you sort of extend your market and the marketing channels that, that you can use to sort of target them, you know, widen the funnel a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, from a value creation standpoint, you don't have to overpromise at the beginning of the business. You simply just have to show a plan to validate that the business should exist, and then you can get sort of more and more enthusiastic over time. And uh, let me flip it over to Krish maybe for the second part of that question uh, that came in from Matan, Matan right? Matan, yeah. yeah. Um, so he asked about, what is significant traction or, uh, you know, something that would actually move the needle and uh, garner attention? Yeah, sure. So I think in when you're talking about business-to-consumer technologies and applications, it's a fair amount of traction when you have, you know, tens of thousands of users, a lot of people essentially completing your critical event or your, I guess, your, your core utility, right? What are people actually doing uh, on your product? What does your product set out to do? And do people complete that? Um, but when you see that happening beyond, uh, let's say, a thousand people or five thousand people doing this, but you're actually seeing it occur at a larger and larger scale, and you're seeing a lot of, um, let's say, reactivation just organically. Um, these are the types of things that are important in the in the B two C arena, just because again, consumers are really finicky. Um, it's hard to acquire users, and I think that's the biggest thing now. Is it's a lot cheaper to build a product than it is to acquire users on the business to consumer side. And especially with a lot of, uh, I guess, travel-focused business to consumer, they're oftentimes very um, destination-focused, right? So, hey, we're live in New York City or, you know, here are the 250 cities that we can that we currently participate in. That's great. Like, how do you market to them? And how do you market to them at the right time, right? It's, it's, it's hard. I was just in, in Argentina. How does anyone that is offering some sort of service or travel itinerary or um, something I could do there, know that I'm going there. Yeah, um, before the fact. Before the fact, right? Mm-hmm. So that 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 really just leaves a lot of these guys or marketers with uh, just kind of awareness, uh, you know, marketing. Say, hey, if you're ever traveling one day, like you can utilize um, this platform, um, and that's that that's really expensive, and it doesn't exactly uh, produce the best results. I think tours mm-hmm. and activities and sort of authentic experiences, right? Sort of put that all in one big big hat um, are hot because it's not hotels and it's not sort of in the, you know, in the sights of the so, $6 billion mm-hmm. of marketing spend. That, yeah. You know, it's still a wild, wild west too. Like, it, a no, lot it's corrected like, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, you know, it's not aggregated. It's not automated. Um, it's also but, following user behaviors, right? So if you spot patterns that ultimately lead to Krish going to Argentina mm-hmm. amongst 20,000 visitors that went in the last three months, then you could probably predict that this next person or I'm about to go to Argentina. So how how do we find those micro moments ahead Mm -hmm. of the time um, when it's not so overt? Um, where I'm not typing into Google, I'm going to Argentina, you yeah. know, uh, you want to get them before that. The, so whether the, it's liking pictures on Instagram and then correlating that to, you know, um, you know, best food places in Argentina. I, I think like the that. pattern yeah. recognition is important, right? You know, someone's highly likely to do something. The, the one thing that I worry about specifically with tours and activities is anybody who thinks that they're going to sort of get somebody to buy 
before they're in market, right? Yeah. So that's why the mobile piece is so yeah. important for the user journey. Um, people don't buy tours and activities, you know, to a great extent until they're actually where they, you know, want to experience that either because they're upsold in the, mm. you know, in the hotel or in the street um, or just because they don't know enough about what's there. They don't do enough research because, uh, again, the stuff isn't really promoted well online because it's not online yet. Uh, if you look at the history of hotels, right, the first, you know, 15 years of online hotels were all about finding the inventory building sort of the pipeline yeah. to get it online and then it exploded to sell it. We're still very early days on actually getting all that, you know, sort of raw fodder for the, yeah. the tours and activities funnel into, you know, the online sphere so you can sell against it. Well, so well Brian, you specific guess? to your, your background, you, um, you have a, you have a high, uh, hold on. You have a very specific domain expertise when it comes to hospitality groups and hotels. Um, you've spoken on a, a bunch of different panels over this past year, uh, this calendar year, uh, talking about data and um, insights for hotels. Uh, can you kind of walk through uh, some ways that hotels are sharing information and using the information that they're gathering to, to, I guess, provide more value from a customer experience standpoint or just converting overall? Uh, you know, I think that the reason that we always talk about hotels and sort of data aggregation uh, is because they're so bad at it. They're, they're very challenged, mm -hmm. you know, uh, consistently on this, right? And uh, their response generally has always been, I'm going to lower my rate to get more customers. And unlike air, where if there's an airfare sale, everybody gets up off the couch, right? That sort of, you know, make my life better. Now I can travel and I wasn't able to. Airfare sales drag incremental business into the planes, mm -hmm. into the air, into the, uh, the the places where the planes are flying. Hotels lowering rate does not have that same effect, right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. all it does yeah. sort of you know impinge on their ability to sort of you know mm -hmm. operate their business profitably. Um, the other response hotels have always had is, yeah. I can't sell my property, you know, so I'm going to give it to you, OTAs who are friends, kind of. And you'll sell it because I have trust in your ability to sort of market the business. Um, again, all that does is sort of lower the amount of, you know, effective take I have for selling that unit of inventory. ADR goes down. The amount of commission that I, I pay goes up for anything that goes through the OTA channel. Hotels get hurt. So the reason I talk about data at the hotel level and at the chain level is if you marshal your data resources – you can save yourself from doing stupid things, you know, yeah. by basically saying, I don't know what's going to happen next and basically taxing yourself by giving too much of your, uh, your inventory away. And, you know, that's, it's not only the hotels that are sort of in that, in that world. A lot of the travel management companies, the big business travel companies don't do anything to help themselves out in this way either. Right. So I call up or I email up you know, the, the person that handles my corporate travel, Hey, I'm going to go to Chicago. And they simply tell me here are the hotels that, you know, you may want to stay at. And I say, no, I, I, okay, I'll just take one of them. Right. 67% of the time, the corporate traveler does not care where they stay. A lot of people are point horrors. We get that, you know, I'm a Marriott guy. I want to mm -hmm. stay in and run up that, uh, that balance so I can have a good vacation, but a lot of people don't care. So, the corporate travel agents don't do anything to affect your choice, where the OTAs are all about affecting choice. From the search, you know, they basically force rank who's paying me the most, who do I have the right. best deal right. with, Absolutely. to, you know, after I, you know, as I'm selling, as I'm selling these things, 
six people are looking at this hotel right now. Buy, yeah. yeah. you know, so they force the funnel and they aggregate, you know, their amount of uh, uh, units that they sell with people that pay them the most. So guess what? Offline, you know, is stuck at ten percent on a commission basis. That's all they get for selling a hotel. And online goes from you know eighteen to twenty five percent because they're better at the data. So my when you say of, offline, is it like a Liberty Travel? Yeah, Liberty yeah. Travel, Joe or, okay. or, or you know, travel. a traditional travel agency, BCD right. or or Zelle Travel, yeah. right? Travel Leaders Group. In I New can't York. believe these things still yeah. exist. By it's the way, still, it's still it's the same problem. It's the same problem. They sell yeah. in the same way with the same people, right? I mean, you're you're right. talking about travel agents. Right, who do a good job. It's not easy to sell travel and understand sort of what to do, but they use the same tools, the GDS green screens. They yeah, don't right. have web interfaces for the most part because they don't no. want. It them. looks like DOS. It, it looks like DOS. <laughs> <laughs> That's my my uh, my Commodore sixty four. Yeah, uh, and you know so. Because of that, you know, we just haven't been able to see those movements at the hotel side for them to do business. You know, I'll say it's smarter, but simply it's just by themselves uh, and ask for help when they need it. Uh, hmm. They've basically been put in a position where they're constantly sort of sending 35% of their business out to people that are sort of, you know, friendly. And I'm doing bunny quotes when I say friendly. <laughs> um, you know, ultimately you put yourself in a position where – They've got a foot on your throat and they're coming back to you every year for higher commissions and, you know, sort of the guarantee of lower rates than what are extended through other channels. So you, you put yourself long term in a very bad position and data is the key to get yourself out of that bad position. Say I'm a, a, a data startup working for sure. like I'm a B2B startup going to hotels, yep. you know, I'd like to go granular a little bit on this because, you know, there's a bunch of uh, companies that we know that like are trying to figure out how to best figure this out because there's branch managers, there's corporate managers, there's yeah. like, it's a totally intricate system. But what you had mentioned earlier is if I institutionalize my software in a hotel level, then they're not going to unplug it. But is that, do you think that's the case if I only get one branch or one region or how does that, how do you see that working? I, I think a lot of the people that are providing infrastructure plays should concentrate on, you know, sort of boutiques, sort of small mm, management groups, mm. and specifically on new builds. If there's nothing there, then they don't have to worry about it, right? So if I'm a hotel and I want to operate efficiently, I don't want a big old system. I don't want to go pay whatever it costs to, you know, put a micro system in, you know, in my, in my property. I want something that's web enabled, that's fast and new and cheap. And those are the, the companies that are more, the, the properties are more apt to sort of make that move. You know, the big chains are sort of, they have big monolithic old systems. I mean, if you look at what Holiday Inn, you know, it's called Holodex, right? IHG used a system that was literally built in 1964, it um, was a very good year. It was gorgeous. <laughs> it was a great year before the, before the summer of love. Um, I mean, but you're talking about this thing was in practice until they're rolling it out now, a new system for nice. IHG. Yeah. So, you know, again, legacy systems are there. It's tough to break. Yeah. Yeah. Because they work. Yeah. So don't tell me to change something if it's working. Especially when the risks are so high for, for switching. Risk mitigation is is, yeah. is a huge problem, right? I'd mm. rather be this. I know this is suboptimal. Yeah. But me changing over but and everything crashing out is way, w way more What risky. is nice with, with the power of data um, – these operators are against the – their backs are against the wall now. Yeah. This is actually a very interesting moment um, where technologies that are proven and tested um, 
have have a huge entryway at this point, or, or at least they have the ears to speak to. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. We we interviewed on the show early on um, uh, the founders of Seven Rooms, mm-hmm. Seven Rooms, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm curious to, uh, to hear your guys's take on. So within data. Uh, are you more excited, and this has nothing to do with the opportunity, but are you more excited about data plays that lend towards the customer experience, uh, such as the seven rooms, or are you more excited about data plays that are helping with the the operational flows within these uh, larger companies? Uh-huh. I mean, me personally, uh, I'm more interested in the operational flows and improving efficiencies within organizations, just because I think that is really what moves the needle for um, a lot of these big management groups and uh and hotels right you could say to them and you could pitch them all you want saying oh yeah like my technology is going to make your customer experience so much better and they go uh-huh that's great but like what what do you need from me <laughs> um and i, I we already it, greet them at the door with yeah, a smile exactly right i mean and their their business is hospitality right yes. um and uh so of course you know they they find that valuable uh, but again as someone who's, who's sold that that value proposition i, I can say that it, it doesn't exactly land on on um it doesn't uh sometimes it falls on deaf ears i guess is a is mm-hmm. a thought and um you're seeing it a lot in the kind of the similar hospitality of real estate and uh real estate and i think at least to me the real estate technology industry and the hospitality technology industry have a lot in common just because sure. they're oftentimes they're- built by the same um you know companies and you're seeing with with a lot of these real estate tech companies that they are finding value in sharing data with each other. At first, it was something where it's like, I keep this to myself. But now, by sharing data in, again, even though anonymized, um, in a larger pool, they can make smarter decisions about things, uh, which thereby, again, it's kind of a rising tide lifts all boats uh, type of effect for these industries. Well, I'd love to talk about kind of investment in travel, broadly speaking, you know, because it's, it's a high-risk vertical to many and a lot of investors don't really want to touch it and i know you have experience obviously plenty in in travel so what are you know kind of areas that you'd focus on or you're in your experience what's it been like working now investing in travel sure yeah i think that the travel is one of those things where people sort of say i'm a travel investor or i'm you know in in bold you know sort of capital i'm not a travel investor (laughs) right uh, and VCs fall under that. You know, you've got GC, you've got Canaan, uh, you've got companies that are, you know, traditional sort of we're travel VCs or interested in travel. Um, and on the family office side, you know, you've got people that have a lot of money that are, you know, either from the hospitality side of Pritzker's Marriott family that have a history of success. You know, they're sort of travel ready or travel investors and then others aren't. Um, travel's insular. Right. I mean, you, you kind of know it's a very small business. Everybody knows everybody. So it's sort of hard to penetrate against it if you're sort of not from there. So I feel like that sort of further engenders sort of the, you know, I'm not going to buy into this business. But at the same time, travel makes people's lives infinitely better. Right. So the, you know, the Priceline thing gets you off the couch and sort of gets you somewhere where you couldn't go. That's pretty cool. That's pretty sexy. People love travel. So they want an entree into this world. And, you know, brand new matter is, is a good way to get that for some of these family offices because we do the hard work of due diligence and, you know, people can trust in our ability to vet, you know, through not only our process, but through our, 
you know, 20 years of experience as operators, entrepreneurs, um, you know, in, in the business. So we feel like we mitigate our own risk because we know a lot about how the business works. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of like old crappy infrastructure and travel that unfortunately I understand and other folks don't want to need to, and hopefully they never will understand, um, just for their sanity, not because I want to keep it to myself. Um, so we know that stuff and we're able to sort of say this makes sense or this doesn't just based on the sort of the infrastructure of the, of the industry. Um, you know, so we can help you sort of as an entrepreneur sort of figure out how to be successful. Um, and we can help people that are travel, you know, want to be travel investors sort of access that from a qualified deal perspective. I don't think by the way, you need to be a travel person to build a company. I think outside experience and outside sort of um, ideas drive the business forward, and some of the fundamental crappiness that I've come to accept, sort of accept as well. It's just the way we do business and travel. Yeah, um, you need outside perspectives yeah. to almost shake that up. I got bit. sort of you know the blinders yeah. on yeah. just yeah. from being an old cranky bastard. <laughs> I need somebody else to say no, do it this way. Yeah, you know because it's the old way, stupid, and that's that's important, and and we certainly listen for that. And that inspiration comes from everywhere. Yeah. So um, I think there's a. I mean, we could literally talk all day over here. Need, um, this has been fascinating. So we would need more donuts. <laughs> for that is 100% correct. So we're going to go into break. And when we come back, it's going to be our third and final uh, segment with uh, Off the Beaten Path here on Travel Is Your Business. Stick with us. If you're a business decision maker, you should listen to this. The show you're listening to is produced by Mouth Media Network, a podcasting network focused on the business of lifestyle. Because of our team's background and deep connections with brands, influencers, and ecosystems, we offer a tremendous opportunity to bring your company's message and products in front of decision makers from several verticals, including fashion, beauty, travel, materials and textiles, health and fitness, and lifestyle. To explore opportunities to partner, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. And now, on with the show. All right, guys. Welcome back to Travel Is Your Business. And, of course, <laughs> it is uh, time for... Off the Beaten Path. That's right. It's Off the Beaten Path, uh, where we ask uh, personal questions uh, with our guests today, Brian and Krish. And uh, we decide who goes first between John and I today um, by the uh, the help of our trusty uh, airlines uh, personnel. Attention, ladies and gentlemen, with passenger pub and ball, please press your call button for the flight attendant. All right, that's right. I guess uh, uh, I'm up. I'm first. So that's fun. Let's talk about journeys, uh, personal journeys. I have a very clear vision of what my perfect Sunday is when I don't have anything on the calendar. And I'm curious to hear um, about, uh, and we could start with Krish this time. Uh, you know, I know, Brian, you mentioned uh, the phrase of uh, getting off the couch, right? Whether it's uh, Priceline and then later in our talk, you also mentioned that line again. So I'm wondering what gets you off of the couch or if anything gets you off of the couch on a perfect Sunday for you. I'm just, you know, I'm going to be, uh, it's not going to be the best response just because I'm a, I'm a weekend warrior. So Friday and Saturday, I'm, it, I go, it could be, a, that is a perfect, I, I go pretty, yeah. pretty, I'm very, very social, very social on Friday and Saturday, but on Sunday, Sunday's like my, my, my day of rest. So perfect yeah. Sunday for me is usually wake up, pop some Advil, 
Right. Uh, <laughs> I'll get some coffee. I go to Bagel Smith and I get a number 13, uh, which is a toasted everything bagel with uh, jalapeno cheddar cream cheese and ham. That's what's up. Perfect. And then uh, I you will. From New York originally. No, New Jersey. Oh well, I mean, tri-state metro. Area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Born Everyone knows their uh, their bagel their order, order yeah. down, right? Like or a um, deli order for that matter. Yeah. And then uh, then I'll then I'll either hit the gym or meditate, and then I will do work usually. Um, so whether that's you know writing or brandy matter stuff, um, really anything like that, just really prep for the day, clean my room, and then I go to sleep. Perfect Sunday. Yeah, perfect Sunday. <laughs> you're cleaning your room for a long time, or you're working for a long time, or writing for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, or usually, all three. I guess I know, right? It's, uh, basically, Sundays I, I usually keep to myself. It's like my uh, yeah, day isolation, it. essentially. Love it. Your day of isolation. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Chris, Chris, no, no judgment Chris, coming so, from Brian's side. Chris, 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 I, I did love the response of just like his facial expression when you said, "Yeah, get up." You know what I mean? Pop some Advil. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again, it's all My about day of rest. collaborative <laughs> sharing environment. That's yes. fine. That's, that's fine. That's right. <laughs> Chris, uh, he wants to be a stoic. He's he's trying to figure out. Uh, that's true. You know, that's how, to true. Get, how to get there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess on, on my end, it's uh, I'm at a bit of a different stage of life, aka old, uh, than, <laughs> than than Chris. So I'm sort of chasing after uh, three kids uh, of various ages. So a lot of sports on Sundays. How old are we talking? So 13, uh, 11 and 10, 13, 12 and 10. Wow. Close in age. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. They're all sort of clustered in. Um, so a lot of baseball, a lot of football, uh, on Sundays. And that's, uh, actually not a bad way to, to patrol the sidelines on Sundays, mm -hmm. get some of your, uh, your anger out by yelling at kids. Are you a coach? <laughs> I am. Yeah. Of, of football so, specifically? Uh, Baseball, soccer, and uh, sometimes basketball. Wow. So well, you not, said you played soccer. Uh, when well, we were off, Mike, before I did. I, I haven't played in a, in a couple of years, but uh, still coach. So that's that's actually starting up soon. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we're we're on to the day, and you're on the sidelines. You finish yelling at the kids. What's yeah, going so on? Yeah, so usually at least <laughs> two or three days, uh, two or three hours, uh, two or three games, right? So uh, uh, oh. we're talking we're talking a few uh, a few stops along the way, yeah. um, and then uh, you know. Usually no lunch. Maybe sort of getting in front of the TV for a little uh, little football if it's football mm -hmm. season. If the Yankees are on, I'm definitely watching the Yankees. Nice. Check That's in. That's why with I love September October. Once football starts, and you got the, the really and you got October really baseball. September October. Yeah. And got do a little Boston bit of that. this weekend starting today. Uh, they got look. They've been. It's going to date this episode a little bit, but <laughs> they've yeah, been okay. A... They've been okay this this week. Uh, I, I like the. Uh, well, the, I mean, they the played the amazing the Mets. Mets uh, <laughs> the Mets program swept those those guys in both stadiums. Which my brother good. is very angry, being a big Met fan. Mm. I can make fun of him. Um, and then uh, you know, just try to get together for uh, I, either I'll cook, uh, which I like to do uh, mm. on Sundays, uh, or we'll just get together for you know some kind of dinner. Uh, as a family, which we don't do uh, a ton during the week, yeah. So, yeah, early, so it's just early sort of, bird special. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe go Golden Corral load up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of a, a, a down day as well. But um, you know, getting out in the in the fresh air is always is always a good thing. And uh, next up is, ladies and gentlemen, would passenger John Matson please report to gate. 23A. Thank you, airline uh, person. Um, so the question I want to ask is one I usually ask because I like it a lot. 
based on your travel experiences, what other place in the world would you be interested in growing up? You're far more cosmopolitan than I, Chris. I'd, I'd like you to feel this first. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I'm a loaded question. Yeah, I guess it's it. You know, for me, it's tough. I've lived in, I've worked in a bunch of other cities, right? Yeah. Uh, and I've always sort of come back to the fact that I'm not super Type A, right? I'm just, I'm not. I'm pretty laid back. But I, everyone that I interact with feels like I, sh- I'm so sort of uber assertive and t- which I find crazy. So I don't think I would be able to. You know, Seattle was was a was a. I, you know, worked out there for a couple of years, but I never moved out there. San Fran, I love the city, but I wouldn't be able to live there. Um, so I think this is probably the right place for me. Um, you know, I'd love to try to do something, you know, for my kids and, and sort of move over to, you know, sort of you know, Spain or something where they could grow up and have another language, you mm-hmm. know, sort of inculcated because I hate the fact that they can barely speak English uh, <laughs> and certainly can't speak any other. Uh, language so yeah that's 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 probably the right like uh you know madrid barcelona like do that sort of you know have another culture uh really sort of pervade our lives that would be awesome and i'll go ahead and mention that our hearts go out to everyone out in barcelona um that were affected by the uh the attacks yesterday yeah i can't imagine living anywhere but new york city for right now and people ask me like oh don't you ever want to move or live somewhere else i'm like i can't i can't see it what if you had no choice uh, I oftentimes think about what my life would have been like had my parents stayed in India and lived in Mumbai. Just because, again, my sister's two years younger than I, like we would have had the same kind of family unit, but just like living in Mumbai. So um, I just can't imagine what I'd be like or who I'd be like uh, when did your as a parents, person. Uh, they actually met in Ohio. They got married in a, oh, in a wow. high school gym, which I think is pretty neat. Um, yeah, so they met in Ohio in the 80s. They came here separately. Which is kind of cool, but uh, I, I could see like in in Berlin or Paris, Berlin, like, and I'm yeah. not I'm not I'm being like you know right, that's fair. arts culture like that's yes. kind of your techno, your, lots your of techno, gig. lots Te- of techno. We love the techno. Um, <laughs> How you been out to Berlin? Yeah, no, I mean Berlin's really really great as a city. Uh, so I guess do I you do you get the opportunity to go back to uh, India? Yeah, I mean uh, not as much anymore, just because I think that's the, the it's so funny well, like us relative to yeah the rest of the workforce around the world, like Americans, like we just, we just work like yeah. uh, two weeks off. And like for that, you can do like what one trip, uh, maybe around the world while the rest of the world, like we have, I literally have two Parisian, uh, teachers on my, uh, couch right now, literally. Uh, oh, nice. and they've, they've been traveling for the last three months. And that's just, again, they really, uh, I gotta say the rest of the world really, really takes advantage of, uh, I guess a more, liberal work-life balance, which is something that I wish we had more here. But Look at Brian when you say that, please. <laughs> I, I, looked him the, I looked him in the eye and got scared. Just now. Uh, uh, no, it's but a safe space. Sell more safe, deep dives. Sell more 30-day <laughs> deep dives. Really feel. <laughs> Listen, okay. that was honestly a really fascinating uh, interview. Thank you guys both yeah. for being on Thank mic you. with us. Uh, I would love to have you guys reflect, um, take a moment to reflect uh, and, and and give maybe a final thought to our listeners, uh, whether it's from this uh, interview here or just your uh, perspective on the industry and your path to this point. And I'll start with you, Brian. Yeah, you know, I think that it's an interesting time. It's always an interesting time in travel, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of every 90 days, I feel like the industry sort of folds back on itself and figures out some new way of, of being, which is why I can't get out of travel after 20 years. They keep pulling me back in. Uh, so it's fun to work in. 
Um, you know, and right now, just from a you know, hospitality technology perspective, you know, the, ho- the hotels and the boutique hotels specifically are in such an interesting point in their evolution. You've got Airbnb coming into the space, disrupting, in general, the hospitality market. You've got the, the big hospitality companies becoming bigger, right? You know, Marriott and Starwood, you know, one plus one equals 17. You know, so now yeah. a lot of change, a lot of disruption. Yeah. So it's even, you know, it's, it's more fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's uh, always a good time to think about uh, what comes next in travel. And I'm lucky enough to do that on a daily basis. So Cool. And Chris? Yeah, I'll, I'll go on the other side of, uh, you know, with regard to entrepreneurship and, and starting companies. Uh, one of the, the best things that I learned from being at Brandy Matter and working for Tom and Brian for the last uh, couple of years is think about your business from a holistic perspective, from a comprehensive perspective. Ensure that that congruence across your go-to-market strategy, your team, your revenue model, make sure all of that's there just because it's so easy to think about these things in silos. Um, but the magic happens is when these things are aligned. What is the best way to contact you guys and uh, follow the developments over at Brand New Matter? Yeah, sure. So we're uh, pretty active on Twitter, and we're just starting up our Instagram. So please do follow us there on Brand New Matter, at, at Brand New Matter. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if you ever want to chat one-on-one, uh, we're always open to it, and we love having conversations. You can shoot me an email anytime at, at Chris at Brand New Matter. That's K-R-I-S-H. Um, yeah, and we uh, look forward to hearing from you, man. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Um, Really, uh, thank you guys both so much for being on mic with us. Um, That was fantastic. Uh, Thank you. Thank thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for this episode of Travel is Your Business. Um, For John Mattson. Bon voyage. And myself, Pub and Ball. uh, Take care, guys. Uh, We will uh, see you next time. And uh, we hope you enjoyed your stay. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.